Have you ever heard something that wasn't really there? Or had racing thoughts that you couldn't control? How about an all-permeating feeling of joy in your body? Or the uncontrollable urge to fall flat on your face? Well, you're not alone. In October of 1858, the Royal Library in Stockholm bought a nondescript little book discovered in the library of a professor who had died a few years before. But the book didn't belong to the professor. It had actually been written a hundred years earlier by a scientist who, at that time, just happened to be going through a major spiritual awakening. And in that journal he kept, through his descriptions of his dreams, dark nights of the soul, and even his physical symptoms, we get a front row seat, a behind the scenes look at what it's like to open to an entirely new dimension of reality. So what does it look like? What does it feel like? And can we use it to recognize these same changes in ourselves? We're going to check it out tonight. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Today we're going to be looking at 10 early signs of a spiritual awakening, and I'm going to do that with you. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm the host, and we're going to be looking at a spiritual awakening today, specifically the spiritual awakening of Emanuel Swedenborg. And what is cool about Swedenborg in general, or one of the things that is cool about Swedenborg, is how well documented his stuff is. All the stuff after his awakening, all of his travels and his journeys and his interactions and his discoveries, but even the awakening itself, we find, luckily for us, a play-by-play that he wrote while he was going through it. So we're going to take that journey tonight and we're going to see him go from being a very successful with it, practicing, publishing scientist to becoming a very with it, practicing, publishing mystic or revelator or whatever you want to call him. But in the middle, where we're going to look at now, things get a little bit wild. It seems like there's this collapse, there's this major period of upheaval as he sort of births into this spiritual world. And we're going to uh, take a look at how it happened in him, and you're going to notice that it's, it's a holistic process, that you're going to see that it's an emotional thing for him, that he's dealing with feelings and feelings that we would recognize, things like despair, feelings of unworthiness. You're going to see it's intellectual. The way he's thinking about the world is changing. He's getting new concepts in his mind. It's also supernatural. There are events in there that don't originate in the physical world. There are things he sees and hears, but it also is physical. There are these symptoms that he feels very plainly in his body connected to all of this and so we have this amazing picture it's sort of like you know one of the like a woolly mammoth trapped in ice like this amazing thing that's preserved we get to see bit by bit as an awakening happens and you know if it happened for him maybe there's something in there that's relevant to your own life and it's just fun to take a look so we're going to do that but first mental seatbelt. uh this show is not better than medical advice. It does not supersede medical advice. So these symptoms we're going to describe, if you're having these, first get it checked out with a doctor. Make sure that you're all good on the physical front. Then we can do the spiritual thing, and we're going to do it right now, and we're going to look at this material, this this fascinating archival content with a very special guest. So let's get ready to go on the journey of a spiritual awakening. As I said, we're going to look straight at field notes from this amazing awakening, and we're going to do it with a guest, my good friend, Dr. Jonathan Rose. So excited to have you back on. Thanks for coming on this show. Absolutely. Jonathan is, an, uh, you know, like he's a smart guy. He's an expert in Swedenborg and translating Swedenborg's works. But this even, it, we're going to look at a, a source that's even a little before the stuff that you're translating, mm-hmm. so the earliest thing. So, so thanks for coming on. Mm, it's good fun. Yeah, and really uh, looking forward to it. You have any initial thoughts to start us off with? Well, it's just a one person's experience, right? And it's actually this is only from one source that we get this. So we'll hear His about journey. it in a little yeah, bit. Right. That, that's right. And uh, so it's a particular slice. It's not necessarily representative, but it's fascinating to look at. You know what went on there. It's not the only way a spiritual that's cat right. can be skinned. Sorry, that's a very crude thing to say, but um, but it may have relevance. That's right. And I actually, for this episode, did some homework. 
Uh, I went to the archives of the Swedenborg Library and learned a little bit about what this journal of dreams that, that he wrote is all about. So here, mm. check it out. Oh, we're going in about now. This is Swedenborg's journal of dreams, or it's also called his dream diary. And it's a private journal in which he recorded all his dreams in the year 1743 and 1744. This is the photographs of his original And these original are photographs text. of his original writing. You can see, well, you might not be able to tell, but right. it's in Swedish. Oh, right. Not Latin. So of this course is, I can tell. Right? This is just his own private journal, not intended for publication. And these years, 1743 and 1744, were the years in which he was transitioning from scientist to seer. Mm -hmm. And so the content of these dreams uh, has some significant spiritual upheaval. And it's thought to be the longest and oldest series of dreams that's been recorded. This is really when he, he's making that switch from being a career scientist to whatever he became. That's right. Whatever he became. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally cool to see that original scribbling. Uh, and I would say, you've read it as well, uh, warning to everybody out there, this may be something you're comfortable with, maybe not. The language in this journal is very Christian. It's interesting that uh, although Cara Dom was talking there about him turning from a scientist into a seer, yeah. uh, it's interesting that even at the very beginning of this journal, you see very... It, you know, it's not the scientist language with a clipboard and saying, mm. I objectively experienced this and I'm right, fascinated. Right, right. I'd like there, to run experiments on it. There must be a rational it. explanation. That's right. right. No, he's kind of a Bible thumper. He's sort of a Jesus freak and praying and worrying about his own yeah. sin and salvation. And maybe you were saying maybe more so than usual because of the circumstances. Yes, I think so. I know George Dole has a theory that he went back to his childhood faith as this awakening began. And so it's sort of the child's way of holding it in a way, yeah. uh, which is kind of neat. And then that gets sort of re-upgraded as he goes along with it. And what I find fascinating is if, if any of you have watched anything about Swedenborg, read him before, you'll know that he, through his spiritual experiences after this, um, he gained this whole new worldview, some of which mm. deviates um, quite stupendously from Christianity. It's a whole different thing. But at the time he was writing this, he didn't really have those new beliefs intact. That's right. The, the, what you read here are the writings of a, of a Lutheran with a pretty traditional Lutheran you know, take on the Trinity and salvation and things like that. But still, there, there is universal stuff in there. Yes. And once you, once you understand that's the language he's speaking, you know that, like, oh, I, I can pick out how this applies, and we're going to help to translate that language. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah, so I want to know, because we, we modeled this whole show after some of your research mm. on the symptoms. How did you get to these 10 symptoms. Well, I've been fascinated with the Journal of Dreams for a while because it is this transitional work and it only survived in manuscript. He didn't publish it. And yeah. as you said in the intro, it was, you know, not known for a long time after his death. Almost and destroyed. Then so, yeah. came to light. And it shows such an interesting thing. I went through there and saw some 24 different kind of symptoms or whatever you'd call them because okay. I've been interested was this a momentary thing was this a process that Swedenborg went through how does an awakening happen yeah. right right how do you go from just being ordinary scientist guy to yeah. being this revelator mystic and and uh, how does that happen and so partly what I did was I grouped the things that I saw more than once and things yeah. that happened a number of times and so we kind of came up with a top 10 list yeah going down from 10 to number one is the thing that happened the most frequently. So that's fun to just yeah. arbitrarily kind of assign them that way. Again, not fully comprehensive. This is not the only things he went through, but these came up enough that, that it's worth our time. And, and it's also worth saying that it's going to seem like everything's falling apart for him here. That's right. Yes. It, and, and part of what's interesting about that is that uh, you might not realize from reading the Journal of Dreams itself in isolation that this was a person with a very active day job. He was working for the Royal Board of Mines right. and assessing mining, and, and that was one of the chief ways that Sweden earned income at the time. So he had a very important government position. He was also writing a lengthy work that he anticipated would be 17 volumes in length Scientific on the human work. body, yeah. anatomy, and so on. So he was very active during his daytime. This journal of dreams shows you what was going on at night, and things were really changing for him. At night. Yeah, so he was able to, he was still f high functioning, mm -hmm. um, and 
you, as you'll see that even though there's this chaos in what he's experiencing as it happens, once he gets through to the other side, things become very clear and it sort of sets the trajectory for That's his right. next work. And it's not all clear during this process. You yeah. know, he doesn't always know what's going on, it seems. So, so let's let's see him not know what's going on, right? Let's get into this. We got your top, your 10 signs, top 10 signs of a spiritual awakening. So let's begin at number 10. Sweating. <laughs> you guys were hoping for something cooler than that. <laughs> Actually, no, that there, there are symptoms that anybody can do. However, the things that bring them about are what's the difference here. And this is from his Journal of Dreams 174. During the whole night, for about 11 hours, I was in a strange trance, neither asleep nor awake. I knew all that I dreamt, but my thoughts were kept bound, which at times caused me to sweat. I cannot describe the nature of that sleep, during which my double thoughts were as it were. Okay, now, double thoughts, that's a spoiler, because that's coming later. Hold Don't on. worry about it. We'll explain it. It's all right. Were, as it were, separated from each other or torn asunder. This is a very interesting quote because he says that he knew all that he dreamed. One of the things that people have found remarkable about his journal of dreams is that he seemed to be remembering six, seven, eight dreams a night. Yeah. You know, some of us at our best can remember one or two, that kind of thing. And he knew all that he dreamed, but he was also having thoughts, and his thoughts seemed to be stuck. They were bound. Right. And that was what was causing him to sweat. Wasn't the physical temperature in the bed or whatever, you know? Yeah. It, it, he was sweating about the state of his thought and he knew what he was dreaming. So you already see a little hint of, of uh, different states of consciousness there. Right, right, right. Yeah, so he, that was somehow distressing his body enough that there was actually physical perspiration. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you can see sort of an intense swing of emotions there. And, yeah. And if it gets intense enough, you'll run into number nine. Oh, wait. We oh, have, we got uh, another 10 quote, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's That's not right. go to number nine yet. I forgot. This is an important piece of the puzzle. So this right. is from the Journal of Dreams number 71. Mm. Yeah, which I which I um, totally said out of order. But if you'll forgive me. The, this last temptation. Oh, yeah, because it's just sort of giving you more perspective on the sweating thing. That's right. This last temptation. Now, temptation is a Swedenborgian term where he uses to describe like spiritual struggles. Yes, with more trials severe, and so on. Right, right, right was more severe than the former in this respect, that it reached to the innermost. Mm. But over against this, I received a yet stronger evidence of the spirit. For at times I broke into a perspiration. What then came up in my mind was no longer anything that could condemn me, for I had the strong confidence that it was forgiven me, but that I should excuse myself and set myself free. Mm. Was that, was all that? Was he yeah, that? you can see that again, there's this sense of, am I salvable? Am I not? He's really... He's having a crisis. He seems worried about this. Yes, yeah. it's a spiritual crisis, which is another way of expressing temptation. And and um, and you see that it seemed as though that very situation was causing him to perspire. Yeah, you know, he was and, sweating from the spiritual struggle. And it's a it's somewhat centered on his pride, like he was seeing things mm -hmm. in himself that he was really coming up against in this. And, and yet he found himself able to forgive himself. So there's a lot of different moods in each of these little quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on. It's in the there. up and up and the down. And this is what I was thinking of before because he experiences these extremes, and they can bring about the symptom uh, that's in number nine, which is weeping. All right, so we have another mm. uh, symptom uh, involving the release of water, and this is also something people can do, but you, when you see the source of, of why he's weeping, you can see the difference. And we want to read a dream that he had to you. We got Dr. Jonathan Rose to read it, and this is him describing a series of events in the night that, that led to some of this spiritual awakening-induced weeping. So this is from his Journal of Dreams, number 36. I experienced nothing the whole night although I repeatedly woke up. I thought everything was past and gone and that I was forsaken or driven away. Towards the morning it seemed to me I was riding and the direction was shown to me, but when I looked, it was dark and I found I'd lost my way on account of the darkness. But then it lightened up and I saw that I had gone wrong. I saw the road and the forests and groves to which I should travel and behind them, the sky. I awoke. There came then a thought, as it were spontaneous, about the first life, and in consequence, about the other life. And it seemed to me everything was full of grace. 
I fell a-weeping because I had not been loving, but rather had offended him who has led me and shown me the way even unto the kingdom of grace, and that I, unworthy one, have been received into grace. Again, this Mm. theme of unworthiness comes up. That's right. He's weeping with this sense of like, God has been so good to him. Right. There's an interesting reference in there to his first life and then the... Second life. Yeah. And, and what do, is, is that just life in this physical world and then after death, it's not sure. Or is it like before and after or, this Or is process, it just this transition that he's going through? So I know. Mysterious. And part of what's interesting about the journal of dreams, it wasn't written for anybody else other than his yeah. own eyes, it seems. You know, no, so, this is very rude of us, so um, but, it, but it's for science. I mean, it, it's yes, for, the, right. for the greater good. And but. it can be cryptic, you know, because yeah. of that. Uh, but it's really cool. And that, that sense, I really feel that sense in there of his sense that, wow, God had been so good to him and he had kind of rebuffed, you know, or like yeah. pushed back or hadn't done the right thing, hadn't treated right. the Lord the right way or something like and that. And still within his sort of um, Lutheran worldview of this, like, God and like worthy and unworthy, you sort of feel that coming through. Salvation. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, we have another one uh, that involves weeping, in case you guys didn't get enough out of the first weeping. This is the Journal of Dreams number 71. Every now and then I burst into tears, not of sorrow, but of inmost joy that our Lord has been willing to show such great grace to so unworthy a sinner. So there's sort of the same dynamic, but these are tears of joy. Yeah, this is a little more joyful, this one. For the sum and substance of, and so this is why, for the sum and substance of all I found was that the one and only thing is to cast oneself in humility upon the grace of our Lord, to perceive one's own unworthiness, and to thank God in humility for His grace. For if there is any glorification therein, looking towards one's own honor, whether it be glorification of the, or, of the grace of God or anything else, it is impure. Mm. Yeah, just just wanting, seeking that humility yeah. and just, you know, thank you to the Lord and everything. And uh, weeping for joy, you know, he says not for sorrow, but for joy because he feels like he's being blessed in a way beyond what he deserves. And you see kind of the separation from ego there that he's saying, like, yeah. even if you're doing stuff that you would think, oh, this is so good, like praising God and all that, praising God. if you're doing it for, your, for yourself or for your own reasons, it's, it's still, still got, not right. And he could, he could sense this in a way that, that obviously he couldn't mm. before. And just to preface all this, I mean, Swedenborg, super successful, super yeah. smart, and admittedly in here and later on, he, he was really full of himself. So he, one of his primary struggles was this, like, wow, everything I've done has been selfish. Yeah, he built up an enormous reputation. He was quite a famous person in, yeah. in Europe at the time. And, and so, it, it, he, yeah, he, he was, he was a, a serious person in, in Europe at the time. And to watch him going through this is kind of amazing in his private life, in the, in the, in, at the midnight hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wonder if that, if like, because that was sort of his life and his struggle, that affects what his awakening is, is centered around, which is mm. this, I don't know, or is that a universal yeah, thing, you know? Do right. we all have this ego? It's just not as uh, obvious if we're not as successful as him. Right. Nobody knows, but but you guys are going to know some more symptoms. Now, these first two, you might have said, this is not cool. This is just sweating and crying. I did that this morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. But... The next couple symptoms are things that not everyone can do, and we're going to get to them in part two. So yeah, like I promised, now we're going to get into the really strange stuff. I mean, this is not stuff you can just, you know, compare notes and say, I've done that. And to prove it, we got symptom number eight here, which symptom Mm. eight is... Hearing noises. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. So anybody and not can just be- noises like that. Yeah. Wonderful effect there. <laughs> anybody but. can hear noises, but we're talking about supernatural noises. Supernatural. Yes. It seems as though his senses started to become. Now, sensation is tricky because you think of it as being physical, right? Like hearing is a physical thing, and yet he starts, as you'll hear in these uh, in this quote, that he starts to hear things that are of a non-physical nature, even very powerful sounds. Yeah. And so it seems like these inner senses, this inner hearing, 
is opening up. And that this becomes a, that's a huge part of Swedenborg's spiritual experiences after all this is over is that he says his inner sight was opened. Right. Our channel name off the left eye. It's like all about his the, the the opening of the spiritual senses. So many titles say things heard and seen. Right. You know that, that he's hearing and seeing in that other world. So is this the beginning of that? We're going to see. This is another reading from Swedenborg's Journal of Dreams 51 to 52 and there ain't going to be visuals. It's an audio thing so just you know, close your eyes or not, and, and experience what he experienced at the time. At 10 o'clock I went to bed and felt somewhat better. Half an hour afterwards I heard a noise beneath my head, and I then thought that the tempter had departed. Immediately there came over me a powerful tremor from the head and over the whole body, together with a resounding noise, and this occurred a number of times. I found that something holy had encompassed me. I then fell asleep, but about twelve, one or two o'clock in the night there came over me a very powerful tremor from the head to the feet, accompanied with a booming sound as if many winds had clashed against one another. It was indescribable, and it shook me and prostrated me on my face. In the moment that I was prostrated I became wide awake, and I saw that I had been thrown down. powerful sound mm. right? so this is not just like oh i heard a little tapping at the window right something more that's right i'm interested at the beginning of that quotation he hears a sound underneath his head he's presumably lying in the bed right but he hears something down from beneath him and he thinks he reads it as that the tempter is gone you know he's going through some kind yeah. of temptation or spiritual crisis and as if that evil spirit is gone or something yeah um but right. then later he has this experience of these tremendous sound the winds crashing together yeah and he's thrown onto his face which is one we'll hear some more about a, right. a little bit later right. in the he show he gives these all away because they occur sort of in these bunches all these yeah. symptoms but but pa- the powerful sound and, and and like this overwhelming experience uh it's, it's like the the spiritual world is not just audible, but like unignorable. That's right. A sound so powerful that it throws you on your face. Yeah, as you say, it's not like just a little, you know, still small voice or something. Yeah. You know, this is something very loud that he's experiencing. Well, and if we're going to be going down the spiritual sensory path, you know, we've got our hearing down. Let's take a look at another of your primary five seeing, but not just seeing, seeing people who had died. That's right. Now, you know, Swedenborg's. Uh, you know, famous by now for all his interactions with people who passed on, but right. he wasn't at this time. He hadn't had those kind of experiences. And during this journal, you start to see him see people. Most of the people that he mentions are his own relatives. Okay. Uh, probably the person he sees the most is his own father, who died eight years before. Jesper. He also sees his mother. He sees his brother, Eliezer, who had died really young and um, had like died a, like over a, 20 years earlier. Okay. Like it's a little baby uh not not a he had a brother who died as a baby but eliezer lived a little longer but died in 1717 which is a long time before this but he saw him as a grown-up and but yes yes and he says i saw my deceased brother in the other world he also saw a political figure of count uh arvid horn uh, who was a nobleman at the time. Yeah. You know, so, so like, it's kind of here? random. And it's hard to tell whether he's seeing them in dreams or visions. But part of what okay. makes me think he was really contacting these people is that, for instance, he has a conversation with his father that goes on in something like June. And he asks his father a question. And then at the end of September, his father comes back with an answer. It's like... You know, yeah. I don't have dreams where I pose a question, you know, and then four months later you get an answer. <laughs> sorry, you know? that, that got to the bottom of my inbox. Uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was busy. Yeah, that's, that's like you're interacting with something that's responding and something that takes time to calculate. And... Yeah, that's right. And, and very meaningful. Some of the conversations were about, like I think the father kind of expected him to be a clergyman, and there's kind of a dream he has where that, that sort of gets mm. healed. And, you know, so he starts to you feel the dreams to, to experience people. Uh, who are in the other world. It's not yet to the full point of waking, ongoing conversations, uh, but it seems yeah. like he's being prepared for that kind of contact. Right, right. He's just starting to move into it. Yeah. So those are a couple of, of wild ones, but they're still like, okay, everybody gets, we, I see dead people, that's, everybody knows that. Like, that's right. Here's something that, that probably you never heard before. Symptom number six, double 
thoughts. Mm. And we're going to let Swedenborg describe just what those double thoughts were. This is from his Journal of Dreams, number 69. It was wonderful, and he doesn't mean great, right? He mean it was like astounding, like it yes. would fill him with wonder yes. or amazement. Yeah. So yeah. Like the, the the original meaning of the word. It was wonderful that I was able to have at one and the same time two thoughts, quite distinct from one another. The one for myself, which occupied entirely the thoughts of others, and at the side of this, the thoughts of the temptation, in such a manner that nothing was powerful enough to drive them away. They held me captive so that I did not know whither to flee, for I carried them with me. I carried them with me. What's yeah, he, so, so what, what does I, he mean there when he says that I had one set of thoughts which occupies other people, and then what's that? I, I don't know exactly what he's talking about there, but it seems like he had one set of thoughts that was like a normal set like other people have or you, something. You and I, I have the, what we're used to, right? Yeah, and he watch, he's able to watch all that. What amazes me is that he's sensitive to this, like he perceives yeah. it, you know? And so he notices that he's having the same kind of thoughts and he's watching all that go on. And there's another set of thoughts and they're kind of frozen or he can't control them. And they're negative, it seems like. He says they're from the temptation and everything. And he can't get out of them. They just keep hammering. So it's like two two voices going on in his head at the same time. Um, and it, you know, it's very interesting, and and not in agreement at all. It's too entirely, you know, what what makes you feel like your thoughts are your own is that they often are in your voice, yeah. um, and you sort of have some reason why you're thinking it, you yeah. know. But the fact that he's thinking stuff he doesn't even want to be thinking, and it's stuck in his head, and it disagrees with his other thoughts. Yeah. It's a different kind of state in relationship to thought. It was distinct thought. enough for him to mention it. That's right. That, that you know, we've all had like oh, I can't stop thinking about. It. I can't get this song out of my head. But he was feeling like, no, this is. I'm going to label this, and he talks about it more in the Journal of Dreams 148, where he says, "This day also I have been somewhat disturbed in my mind because against my will the thoughts were flying for and against, and I could not control them." Yes, could not control them, and and uh, there's, so there's one set of thoughts. He doesn't say what the issue is, right, yeah. in that quote, but uh, there are thoughts for, there are thoughts against, completely opposite bodies of thought. Yeah, you know, going in two different directions, and he can't control either of them. He says they're flying, and and so right. I don't know exactly what it's well, like. And but this is all some kind of like there's a spiritual struggle going on of like the the negative part of him and the positive part, or that he's awakening to this new thing, and somehow that clash is beginning to be represented in these. That's right. And as he looks back on this later, he starts to see that he thinks, oh, those were spirits. Like that was spirit influence he's you know he can call it the tempter or something but i don't think he's totally connected with the thought from things he says later he hasn't totally connected with the idea that these are separate beings who are putting these thoughts in his mind you know he just thinks wow i'm having two sets of thoughts or something Right. right and well you can see and he was distressed by these a lot of the time and you can see why in this next quote this is from 158 he says, this day I have been in most severe temptation. And so when I thought of Jesus Christ, there at once came ungodly thoughts, which I could not be blamed for, as it seemed to me. So Jesus being obviously something very precious to him, and then this sort of corrupt, rude, intrusive thoughts coming in. Mm-hmm. I struck myself, like he slapped himself or something. But I can affirm that I had never, but I can affirm that I had never felt such lively courage as this day. Not in the smallest degree cast down, timorous, or hurt as on other days. So it seems like on other days, this kind of thing would happen. Those ungodly thoughts would happen, and he'd be terrified by, by them or yeah. depressed or something, but not this time. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, although the temptation was most severe. Yeah, so it's extra severe, and yet he sort of held up better during it. And so why? The reason is that our Lord had given me the strong faith and confidence that he helps me for Jesus Christ's sake and his promise, so that I then found out the work of faith. And if anyone knows Swedenborg, that last sentence, God helps me for Jesus Christ's sake, that is very strange coming from Swedenborg. That's right. Later, he he departs from that view and feels that Jesus Christ is the Lord. It's the Lord one. is God. It's yeah. all one. Uh, but there, it's sort of one for the other yeah. one. The Lord for Jesus Christ's strange sake. To me, everything. seeing that, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's interesting. That? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the theology before. hasn't evolved uh, to that point yet. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so these are all kind of intense. At this point, by number six, you may be saying, all right, I, I never want a spiritual awakening. But there are 
pros to the whole thing. For example, number five, is that good enough? Gladness or joy throughout your entire body. This is Journal of Dreams, number 87, where he talks about it. During the present night, I slept very tranquilly. At three or four in the morning, I woke up and lay awake, but as it were, in a vision. I could look up. What, can, can I pause you for a second? Yeah. Well, what does that mean? He wakes up, he lies awake, but as it were, in a vision. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, you want, do you, you want me to tell you? Um, yes, please. I'll get back to you on that. Thank you. <laughs> so obviously, he's describing these very um, complex, bizarre experiences, and to himself, so he's just shorthanding things that he would explain more. But After this very yeah. tranquil sleep. Yeah, right. right, right. I could look up and be awake when I wished to, so that I was not otherwise than awake. But as to the spirit, there was an inward joy that could be felt all over the body. Hmm. It seemed as if it were shown in a transcendent manner how it all issued and ended. It rose up, as it were, and concealed itself in something infinite as a center where love itself was. And it seemed as if it extended itself thence round about and then down again. In this manner, it moved by a means of an incomprehensible circle from a center which was love round about, then back again. Mm. So is this is this uh, him, you know, feeling some of heaven for the first time? It seems so, doesn't it? And it's very interesting that maybe you've got that rational mind in the middle. Yeah, heaven's above, the body below, and the rational mind is kind of watching, going, "What is going on?" As they and connect. heaven is kind of getting hooked up. His spirit, he says, is right. getting hooked up with his body. But the reason it makes me think, particularly that it's of heaven is that he talks about an infinite love. You know, love itself is there in the center. Sounds cool. It's welling up out of that and coming around. And uh, those of you who have read uh, Swedenborg's works, you, you see that sometimes he describes where things are in relation to the human body, in the spiritual world. He yes, says, this is he near the kidneys, or this was at the level of the chest, slightly oh you know, yeah. raised up and that kind of thing. And so it seems like that mapping may be starting to happen where he's feeling things of heaven right in his own, own flesh. And there's complexity to it. That he's not just like, man, that felt great. He's like, no, there was a center and it wrapped around and it was infinite. And I, yeah. his description of this beautiful joy, you know, in all of his stuff, but with the structure to it, for some reason to me, that just like, oh man, that's awesome. You know, like, like that's so right. cool that, that joy and bliss has a structure and a connection and a meaning. I don't know. To me, that seems cool. And it's interesting to think, like in a way, that the child maybe is sort of amazed at this experience and then the scientist is going, yes, and it originated here and it went around then came down. Oh, you that's know, right. Both you know, parts. It's kind of both parts are, right, right, right. are in there getting hooked up in a different way. Okay. Well, this stuff is cool, but enough with these, uh, you know, top half. We want to get to the most... Uh, highly numbered or lowly numbered, whatever you want to say, we want to get to number one, right? The only way we're going to do that is to make it into the next section where we'll be talking about, oh, you know, just tremors and chills and that sort of thing. So let's take a look at part three. So we're going to open at number four with, again, something that people, that does happen to people. This is not an exclusive spiritual experience. No. Uh, it's none other than chills and shivering. Uh, and this is going to be distinct from a, a greater shaking we'll see later. But let's, That's uh, right. But let's get introduced by Swedenborg to, to when these occurred and why these are more than just regular goosebumps. So this is the Journal of Dreams number 40. I went to bed at nine o'clock. The temptation accompanied with trembling, so in this translation, trembling, continued until half past ten. I wanted to include that because it's a timestamp. How long was your temptation? Oh, it was, an, it was 90 minutes. You know, it was an hour and a half. <laughs> That's right. Um, it was one of those hour and a half ones. Yes, yeah. and so what, what's cool is if you go on to read from that, he says he has mm. his temptation, but then he says, I was shown the meaning of it. And he was shown the meaning of it through this weird series of, of images. Yes, images and even kind of, they they get, it's not just sort of things he's seeing with his mind, but he's getting very engaged in it himself, like it's an interactive As we'll type see, of thing. As we'll see, first popped up this guy. Ah, there he is, that's Erland Brumann. Who is a guy that Swedenborg knew. That's right. And in he says in this explanation that, that this guy was trying to... Um, invite Swedenborg into a life of shallow, materialistic hedonism. Sheer, that's right. Sheer physical pleasure for its own sake and, yeah. and that kind of thing. That's right. But Swedenborg wasn't having any of it. 
And then suddenly appeared this. Yes, he saw a snake, a serpent. But it's a special one. Why? It's a special one because it is Erlan Bruhlmann's dog. You heard that, right? The snake was his dog. Isn't that exactly (laughs) like a dream? The snake was his dog. And so naturally, Swedenborg and the dog start to have a fight. Uh, this, is right. all, this is all in there. And the, the snake dog. Yes. yes, but while he's fighting it, it sounds a lot like a snake again. Because because uh, describe a little bit the what happens. Well, there. It, it it seems like he grabs it by the neck. It's trying to bite him, and he grabs yeah. it by the neck, and then venom comes out. That's right. Kind of a dead giveaway. Yes, it's not the puppy. You know. Uh, again, these are not real animals. This is not. I mean, this is like a, in a dream. A, he says before he describes, he says, "This was shown to me symbolically what my temptation meant." Yeah. The and and this is what it meant that he's wrestling with something with superficialness and then whatever these snake dogs symbolize. Yeah, and often snakes in his uh, theology represent the outer self. Right. And sensual, those same kind of appetites that he was right. talking about that Erlan Broman represents uh, to him. Which he, he didn't have a theology at the time, but maybe this right. universal symbolism is coming through before he even but he, Before it. he even knows what it is. That's, That's right. right. And, and snake, and a dog in his work, although that was a very cute little dog. That there. one was, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't fight cute. that That's dog. That's not a no problem. Way. But dogs, in, he sometimes says, uh, correspond to lusts and things like that. So In a negative it's, sense. It's, yes, in a negative sense. And yeah, that's what he seems to be wrestling. And then this venom comes out, that's you know, right. and it's trying to bite him, Potent. but he's trying to strangle it. And- Still, even with all that imagery, I think some people might say, like, chills and shivering, that's not that's not a very hardcore symptom. But right, we- and it's interesting that he was shivering, you know, he writes down that he was shivering for that whole hour and a half. Yeah. Like, he's trembling, you know, he's gone to bed, but he's just shaking, That's uh, right. you know, just, just a little bit. If the shaking's not good enough for you, though, check out number three. Uh, we have none other than involuntary prostration. Yeah, no, this is fun. Yeah, yeah. Let's read a little bit about it. Uh, this happens to Swedenborg on numerous occasions, including the Journal of Dreams number 90. As we're descending through these counts, these are yeah. happening more and more and right. more, in my estimation, as I read through Journal of Dreams. And so this happened a lot. In the state I was in, I came still further into the spirit. And although I was awake, I could not govern myself. Mm, there it is but again, there- that sort of lack of... Self-control or something, you know. But he can tell, he's he's making distinction that he was awake. Yeah. But there came, as it were, an overwhelming impulse to throw myself on my face and to fold my hands and to pray, as before, about my unworthiness. Mm, There it is again. And to ask for, and he even notes, as before, and to ask for grace with the deepest humility and reverence, that I, as the greatest of sinners, may receive forgiveness of sins. I then noticed that I was in the same state as during the night before, but more I could not see because I had become awake. Mm. So he's in and out of waking and sleeping. And even while he's awake, there's this overwhelming impulse to throw himself on his face, fold his hands, and pray. Yeah. And there are other passages, are there not, where where this actually happens? Yes, it happens all over. And we want to read you one more where um, he get, he's so intensely into it that he doesn't even know. If he's on his face or not. So this is the yeah, journal. Yeah, because it happens so much, and then he's, he's not even sure. Does yeah. this happen or not? Yeah. Right. This is Journal of Dreams 228. I was for a long time in holy tremors. There they are. There's the tremors, right? Though at the same time in deep sleep. Now, I don't know how that works. How are you deeply asleep, and at the same time you're aware that you're you, shaking? Because, whole, yeah, if I, you know, if, if I uh, wake up and, and like, oh, it looks like I moved my sheets all around when I was asleep, I didn't know I was doing that. That's right. Deep sleep is usually would be something different than being able to know that you're trembling. So right there you see some kind of third consciousness. That's like, right. Like not asleep, not awake. I was wondering if I would see something holy. That's an interesting question. You know. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm shaking. I'm in a deep can, sleep. It's, so it's am coming. I going to see something yep. cool now? And it seems I was thrown on my face, but I cannot affirm this for sure. I love that. I, I don't know. Like, I, I maybe I was on my face. Yeah. Afterwards, maybe. I was taken away from this state, and behind my back, I found someone with whom I seemed to be acquainted. So a person enters. Mm. I was annoyed that he had taken me away from it. When he went away from me, I told him he must not do so again. The tremors then continued, mm. but I saw nothing further. It meant that what is holy had come to me and had so moved me that I was carried to my 
work, which I had begun to write today, about the senses. Oh, that's his book that he's been working on, you know, yeah. about the about the human body, so about he's weaving that in. And so he feels like this spiritual experience is telling him to keep writing on the book that he's working on. And that I wish that would not dra- draw me away from what is more important. So really intense mm. experience, but he's, he's tying it into sort of his day job. Like, this, yeah. is, this is sort of about my day job. That's right. And he certainly doesn't seem to be aware at that point. In fact, there's one point in the Journal of Dreams where he says, whether this is leading me to something else or whether this is going, I have no idea. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know but he made a show while he was alive. That This is your spiritual awakening. He just knew this, <laughs> this stuff's is getting your weird. Life. And he knew also that in number two, his sleep had changed. He had mm. preternatural sleep. This is the Journal of Dreams one hundred and. 40, where he talks about it, I was this day at intervals in interior anxiety and sometimes in despair. There's that emotional side. Mm. Nevertheless, I was assured of the forgiveness of my sins. There's that issue It's not like it comes and goes. Like this is a core thing that he's got to be working out. Thus at intervals, a heavy perspiration, he's just hitting all the bases here. Heavy perspiration broke out upon me until 10 o'clock. We got a timestamp. When with the help of God, I fell asleep. Mm. Then it seemed it was said to me that something will be given from within. There's I, that sense of anticipation. I love that it? line. I'd be so excited if, if I knew like something's going to be given. Yeah, that's right. I, something about that's cool. I slept for an hour and a half, although in the night I had slept for more than 10 hours. Mm. By the grace of God, I have had a preternatural sleep, and this for an entire half year. Mm. So what's that? What is preternatural? Preternatural sleep. Preternatural comes from Latin roots, meaning beyond natural. It's a little like our word supernatural. And the um, Swedish is over natur, like uh, over, you know, that like, was beautiful. Like sort of, thank you very much. Uh, it, super, you know, it is like supernatural. It could or be translated abnormal. Right? Yeah. C- could even just mean weird. Uh, yeah. But he's having not your normal sleep, and it's interesting that he says it's gone on for over half a year. Yeah. Every night, one of the characters. I don't know exactly what he means by this. Yeah. But one of the characteristics seems to be extremely long. Like he talks about 10, 11, 12, 13-hour nights. It sounds great. You know, sometimes he's in a blissful, deep sleep, really. Like what was unusual about it was his sleep was so good. Right. But I tend to think that what this term means, the preternatural sleep, every night for over six months, every night, uh, I think it's all of the above that we've been studying That we've seen throughout this. Sleep is Visions, waking up, oh, I'm trembling, now I'm sweating, now I'm crying, now I throw myself on the mercy of Jesus. The tempter left, and now, yeah, yeah. Certainly not normal sleep. I mean, that that was sort of the first thing that really changed, and then the stuff surrounding sleep. But even that, as, as often as it was, is not the thing he mentions most often in his journal. That is, drum roll. Drum roll. Number one, <laughs> that was a great drum roll. Shuddering, and this comes up when you when I saw your notes. This comes up everywhere. Like he That's has right. these. You've seen him pop up in a few before because this shuddering was something about the connection of mm. of heaven and earth inside him. Like something was just making him shake. That's right. The chills and the shivering. I think is that little sort of where yeah. somebody else couldn't necessarily see it, right? You, or you'd have to look very closely to see. Oh, I think you're cold or something. Yeah. But I think this is like grand motor. That's right. You know. Big, big movements going on uh, through his body, which is, I'm so interested that out of this top 10 list, so many of them are physical. You know, so many of them are with, the physical with a spiritual body. origin. Yeah. yeah, spiritual origin, and yet the physical body's being prostrated, or the physical body is shivering or trembling or yeah. sweating or crying or whatever. You know, well, it's interesting. If you don't believe us that he went through this a lot, this number proves it here. This is the Journal of Dreams 242. This was a Sunday. Before I fell asleep, I was in deep thoughts concerning the things on which I am engaged in writing. Yeah, that was his focus. He had a purpose. Yeah. Th- then I was told, hold your tongue or I will beat you. I then saw someone sitting on a block of ice, and I was frightened. So here we Mm. have maybe his first genuine sighting of a spirit. I came, as it were, into a vision. I held back the thoughts, and one of the usual tremors came over me. In another translation, it reads, experience the usual shuddering. Yeah, it's just like, check... Checkbox. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. It? He's been through this so much. Sixty percent like chance a year of shutters. And, and the shuddering, shuddering is just going to happen every time. Just notes to self. Like, oh yeah, usual shuddering. It means. And the, but listen to this. It means that I should not persist in my work so long, especially on a Sunday or perhaps in the evening. Now that's really interesting. You yeah. know that he just takes it. 
he does look back on this as the first time a spirit talks to him. And what was remarkable to... The guy on the block of ice. To, that's yes. right. The experience to him was what was remarkable was that this person knew his thoughts. And he'd never really seen a real spirit before. That's know? right. Yeah. Not not like this. Not yeah. in this way. And not to have the spirit directly address what the total stranger sitting on a block of ice yeah. addresses his thoughts. And says, hey, don't think that. You know, hold your tongue or I'll strike you. And at the time, he just thinks, oh, maybe I work too much on a Sunday. You know, maybe I'm Still, stressing a little know. bit about my work. But he later, know where it's going. he sees that was the first time that a spirit directly addressed me. And that was just the beginning of this explosion right. that was going to take place. Because to him, right, he understands things are different. Like his dream life is changing. He's getting more insight. There's all this stuff happening. But he still sort of thinks, I've got my regular life. He doesn't see this huge, uh, you know, right angle turn or U-turn where he becomes yeah. this theologian and revelator and gets lucid experience uh, or access to the spiritual world. He doesn't know this is where that's leading. So we sort of have a cheat sheet here. And that right. we're able to say, here's a spiritual awakening from beginning to end but when you're going through it you didn't know that so so this is sort of like a you know a little advanced notice or like backstage pass to something that that you know you don't usually know it is what it is yeah that's right so we made that's it right. through um yeah, there we are yeah and uh, do you have any final closing thoughts on yeah the whole let's process? see i i just it's fascinating to look at those different stages and to think about, you know, some of those things would be things that you would experience in a mental illness or something like that. Yeah. And yet the fact that he's had such a purpose and yeah. everything, you know, and he's and he's at a high functioning level or whatever. Um, but it is also fascinating feel that he's being prepared, but he doesn't know what for yet. No. But something is kind of introducing him into spiritual experience. Here's yeah. this stuff. Here are these emotions. Here are these thoughts. And as you said at the beginning, it affects every level of his life. Isn't that, isn't that what life is? Like we're, we're always being prepared, mm. but we don't know. And you can only look back and say, oh, oh yeah, like that's, that's right. That's, that was sort of leading me towards that. But at the time, I didn't it just, know it at the time. It reminds me when, when Swedenborg later in his like, you know, revelator, like I got everything together. He says that life, divine providence, you know, from God, it's like, it's like building materials on a building site. And it's just like everything's scattered. It looks like chaos. But yeah. God, in his mind, has the blueprint and knows what That's our life right. is going to become. And even if we don't. That's right. And he talks about also that it's like being on a mountaintop and looking back at your own wandering in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you wandered through the forest and where, you know, and now he's got this different perspective. And we're hoping to give you a little bit of that perspective through looking at this journey. It was a lot of information. It was 10 whole things. So to make sure we were all retain it well, let's do a little bit uh, of a wrap up here. Two, three, four. Well, you might be sweating uncontrollably Even when it's cold You might be weeping in the night Sometimes for joy You might be hearing supernatural noises Sometimes very loud It might seem like everything is falling apart or you might just be waking up. Yeah. You might be seeing the spirits of the dead. Is that you? <laughs> you might have an extra set of thoughts that you can't control. You might be having gladness throughout your entire body in a structured form. I observe that my knees are happy right now. <laughs> you might be just having chills or shivering when it's not that cold. It might seem like everything is falling apart, or you might just Experiencing involuntary prostration Also known as a face plant You might be picking up some preternatural sleep Long and amazing You might experience the usual shuddering The usual shuddering It might seem like 
like everything is falling apart Or you might just be waking up Thanks everybody for watching. If you enjoyed this show, whether or not you like this song, please consider liking and subscribing. That helps our uh, material get out there on YouTube. Who knows, someone might be looking for this very episode. Um, and if you want to be a part of making this sort of uh, content possible, we're a nonprofit. We run on donations. Here's a little video about our philosophy. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. All right, uh, like we usually do, we're gonna take a little time to answer some of your questions if you've been kind enough to, to watch the whole show. So let's see what, uh, what do you got, what's on your mind. Question number one. Maria, do people who do not awake spiritually go to hell? Ah. Uh, well, what do you think? I, I think... So we gotta define terms, right? That's right. I think actually it's pretty hard to go to hell. You've really got to put your heart into it. And, That's right. Um, uh, not awakening spiritually in this world is not the end of the story. Like after you die, there's lots of efforts to, right. to keep... And even death itself... For a lot of people, the way that NDE, you know, ex explain it, right? It's a it's a spiritual awake, you know, that's a spiritual experience yeah. to 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 die. So no, it's not necessary to. There are certain things that you need to sort of get onto a decent path or treat a few people well yeah. now and then or something. But but the um, uh, the spiritual awakening is not necessary to go to heaven. Awareness of the spiritual dimension or anything like that is is not weighted heavily at all, according to Swedenborg. It's all about do you love helping people or right. do you not care at all about people and and uh, love harming them for your own gain? For, for your own that's sake. What, that's like, right. The, that's the knowledge can get sorted out easily. So you definitely don't have to go through anything like Swedenborg to avoid hell. Um, all you got to do is uh, avoid hell, which hell is, hey, man, I... I'm going to spend my life in selfishness and ego and all that, um, and I'm not going to be willing to be taken out of it. So so it's, you don't right. got to do anything like this show in order to avoid hell. Uh, we all get an awakening, at, you know, if not in this life, in the next life. So. That's right. Okay, cool. Thanks for the question. Let's look at the next one. Good one. Yeah. Cynthia, when you are dying, do you see God as you pass over? I think you grow to see God more and more and more and more to eternity. Right. That's right. And and um, the way Swedenborg puts it is that you see these highest celestial angels are the first people you see. Yeah. And they are just beings of such incredible love. And and they have so sort of emptied themselves to make room for God kind of thing that I think for a lot of people it is the experience of yeah. being in the presence right. of God. They're in the presence of God. So they make God present for people. Yeah. And you see that in the epistles that it talks about to be absent from the body is to be present with God. And so I do think that's a part of the experience for yeah. people. And there are angels who sort of facilitate it or facilitate something. Facilitate it. Swedenborg did have a vision of Jesus. You know, yeah, several actually, He says yeah. that God does appear in communities. Um, so, yes, and, and I say more and more forever because you like, you, you get closer and closer to God. You see God in more things, and I'm sure that includes face-to-face. -face. So, I yeah, I mean, in all kinds I, of ways. I, I and, tend to think you forever. Do. Okay, yeah, so, so there's a couple uh, of thoughts. Let's take a look at our third one. This is from Jen. Today I was called a liar, so I wish that person more peace and happiness than I could ever know. I wasn't really feeling it. Is this something that is refined through repetition? Yeah, it's hard. It's like, hey, let's talk about like love and 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 be nice. But when somebody does something super annoying, it's you like that was a great reaction to have, but it's hard to be also be excited. And I think refined through repetition is actually a great way to put it right yes that is and uh, i think that's such great spiritual work that's what i think of that as is yeah spiritual work even to it's a blessing just to have that thought you know that's when right. someone calls you that's something right. horrible and 
and to, to wish that's that a spiritual person awakening peace in heaven. Th- that, that you'd is, even right. think like, oh, there's a different way I can react. I mean, that's how you're starting. Right. And I think it's natural that you, you wouldn't feel it at that time. Uh, the New Testament talks about rejoicing and leaping for joy when you're persecuted. Sometimes I try to practice this. I don't feel it. <laughs> you know, I'm not happy. Yeah. I feel like an idiot or whatever. But, but I think it's important to sort of start that siphon. I think there's a yeah. siphoning process. And eventually, as you say, through the repetition, Swedenborg uses this great phrase about becoming saturated with it as a result of constant practice. You know, yeah. I think that's what it's about. Act. And this is Swedenborg quote, act precedes, willing follows. Or that's, that's like right. old translation. That yes, a lot of times in different right. situations he talks about in, in marriage and in, in all all over, do do what's right. And then eventually, and even in regeneration, he talks about uh, initially you're, you're you're in what reformation, and it's yeah, just and like I'm doing it because I have to, or because I was told to, and eventually you get to be regenerated. The heart, the mind, and the heart yeah. sort of catch so up. So you're yeah. doing it right, That's and you don't worry work. about whether or not the feelings are there. All we can control really is is action. That's you know? really good. So work. so Jen, you're awesome. Okay, next one. Does Swedenborg speak at any length about the correspondence of teeth? He yes. uh, he most certainly does. Yes, he he talks about teeth, and um, he talks about particular spirits who are with him, and as they approach, they cause a pain in his teeth. That's right. As they you withdraw, said maps onto the body. He, that's yeah. right. As they withdraw, he the the pain goes away, and everything. And um, he also talks about the correspondence of teeth in the what's called the universal human. You know uh, that these are particular hard sort of spirits yeah you know the food as it enters the mouth first greets the lips which are soft and so on but then there's these teeth that are you know kind of grinding and, yeah and he says that they are that they are sort of tough tough spirits who are there who are allowed to kind of break people down shake them up kind of thing uh but not destroy them and so on right you know, outermost like truths spirits. and falsities they're on an individual level or they the course and i also know that recently i was reading he said there was some evil spirit or some hell smelled like teeth mm. do you ever hear that yeah am yeah. i remembering that right that's right yeah whatever so, so. so positive and negative correspondence but those so are, he does he does talk about that he certainly does man if you if you get to uh, go to um uh, you know, Swedenborg search site, you can put in teeth, you'll see all kinds of That's stuff. That's right. He talks about the cor- correspondence of the biblical phrase of gnashing of teeth and things okay. like that. Yeah, he yep. brings that up. Yep. Yep. All right, we're going to do one more question. Let's take a look at what we've got today. Sherry, do you have to experience all 10 signs to be considered spiritually awake? It's a great one to end on. That's awesome. That's a really awesome no. question. Yeah, it, as I say, these were 10 of 24 and... Um, and uh, I think there were other things that were going on that he wasn't writing about. Yep. Um, this was one account in the Journal of Dreams, but he also writes in a work called The Old Testament Explained a lot about his spiritual experiences. And there's kind of a different list in there. And I think there was a host of different things going on for him. I think it's partly what's useful, you know. Yeah, that's right. And I think every, uh, your, your, what do they say? You know, your experience may differ or something. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Your results Individual may vary. results, yeah. So that's that's, that's right. like, uh, and what is even being spiritually awake? Like Swedenborg got to a place where he could like see the spiritual world and, and go and travel there and learn about it. But you could say like what, what Jen's talking about, where, hey, somebody's mean to me mm. and I come back with love, you know, more and more and more. That could be what's spiritual. So it's... That's right. It's different for everyone. Um, yeah, that's right. And I think there's probably not a hard line um it's probably by degrees to, uh, you know he's very much a lot of his theology is as as you've probably seen is about process you know yeah that's there's right there's an ongoing process throughout our lives in this world and afterward to eternity right. is a phrase that he often uses and so uh, it's not just a simple go through these hoops and then you're there that's kind right. of thing but something did sort of happen for him and change yeah. quite a bit a few years after the experiences we were describing it's awesome great question and uh, thank you so much for asking it. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thank you, Dr. Jonathan Rose, for coming on. That was on. so fun. Was awesome. Thanks for uh, the research and then the commentary. And hey, man, that's great jamming on that piano. Oh, everybody, uh, we'll be back next week, same time. We're going to be looking at why do spiritual things sometimes seem hard to believe? And, and why is there a conflict between our practical mind and them? And we're going to get into that next Monday. I'll uh, see you then. Swedenborg and Life is a production of the Swedenborg Foundation. Curtis Childs is our host and producer. Art direction by Matthew Childs. Technical direction by Stuart Farmer. Ben Keyes, visual effects technician. 
The content writing team is Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, and Chelsea Odner. Regular research and content support from Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition of the works of Emanuel Swedenborg, and Cara Dom, Latin consultant for the New Century Edition. Shada Sullivan contributes her heavenly voice to most of our readings. Amy Aquarola is our marketing communications coordinator. Alexa Cole is our online media coordinator. Our editor is John Connolly. The moderators for our thriving online community are Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Alexa Cole, Chris Dunn, and Chelsea Odner. And the executive director of the Swedenborg Foundation is Morgan Beard. Special thanks this week and every week to the generous donors that make our work possible.